What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. It's 12.22 a.m. in Chicago, and you're listening to Night Call. Hello and welcome to Night Call, a call-in show for our dystopian reality. I'm Molly Lambert and with me are Tess Lynch and Emily Yoshida. Welcome back. It is May. Today is the first day of May. This will be coming out in May. And it's now Y2May, our new theme month that's all Y2K themed. You guys excited about Y2May? So excited. I love looking back at a a fake apocalypse to just contrast... (laughs) The real one going on right now makes me, it gives um, me the warm and fuzzies. I was given permission by Hunter Harris that we are the only people allowed to do a "It's gonna be May" meme for the meme that died, but we can use. We're it. allowed to do "It's gonna be Y two May." Yes, good. okay. <laughs> we were given meme permission. I think that kind of joke is what one calls a hat on a hat if you're in a writer's <laughs> room, but we'll go with it. What's finishing the hat? I still don't understand. <laughs> a lot of hats. I was going to say like one of those big kind of like top hats, like fuzzy top hats that were really popular around the year 2000. Oh, like that mystery oh. used to wear? Yes. Oh. That's the hat. That's the on top of the hat. hat. In the case of it's going to be Y2May. What about um, a cat in the hat raver hat? Yes. Well, same, same, same basic idea. Yeah. I keep waiting for those to come back. Yeah, I was um, going down a, a long Google image wormhole when I was putting together graphics for this month's Night Call newsletter and just looking at pacifier necklaces and just really wondering, like, those, you know, there's been all sorts of 90s nostalgia over the last decade, I'd say, but very little that you hear about pacifier necklaces. Maybe well, we should bring It's not like people gonna, aren't doing Molly. <laughs> we're going to get into candy flippers today because that was one of my realizations about Michael Jordan is he dresses like a 1998 candy flipper. <laughs> like I can't wait to hear all of your revelations oh my God. about Michael okay, Jordan. Today we're going to talk about sports as well. Sports in the late 90s. So technically on topic. Um, But first, the question to lead into that, we got a night email from Jonathan. Tess, would you like to read it? I would love to read this email from Jonathan. Okay. Hi, Night Call. A few months ago, the idea of the long 80s, I think it was the 80s, was mentioned on an episode. For Y2May, I was wondering where you all think the long 70s, 80s, 90s, and oddies begin and end. The show is always a highlight of my week. Thank you, Jonathan. What do you guys think? Wow, I love how he wrote OOs and you turned it into Audis. 
I did. He wrote OOs, but I my brain looks at OOs and just immediately translates Audis. I, I I think if I saw it written like that, I would say two thousands, and that's only because of I love the the year two thousand or the year or the two thousands, like whatever the MTV On VH1? or the VH one show was. Yeah, because they had done I love the eighties, I love the nineties. Did they have I love the seventies, or is that a little out of their purview? I think I they did remember. have I love the seventies. I don't think they had I love the sixties, but I definitely yeah, watched no. all that. All no. that trash. I think definitely nobody who was watching it was alive for the 60s, so they <laughs> skipped over the 60s. Um, also, like the 60s, it's like, it's hard to, like, I don't know. I feel like if you were it's doing it. It's a different that, documentary. It's a, yeah. yeah, there's lots of I love the 60s out there. It just comes in different forms other than a VH1 talking head show. But um, I want to say I think most decades, I don't think they really start until midway. I feel like usually the year with a five on it is when it becomes really whatever that decade's going to be. Really? Here's my or here's disagree. my belief. I'll tell you guys what I think and then you can you can uh tell me I'm wrong. Uh I think the 60s started in like okay like I think the early 60s and the late 60s are like two different decades essentially mm-hmm. yes, because yeah. the early 60s are essentially the long 50s. So I want to say the 60s started in like 1964 maybe for okay. real. Um, when were the first like um, big civil rights protests? Because I would say that is like kind yeah. of the 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 turning point for the sixties. So like yeah, sixty four, sixty five. Yeah, somewhere around the the civil rights movement really kicking into gear and the Beatles coming to America. That's what that's when the sixties begins. The sixties end in nineteen seventy two. Thus begin the 70s. What, what, why uh, Why 1972 particularly? Just like Nixon and stuff. Nixon and shit. Okay. Well, wait, but you say decades usually begin in the fives, like halfway through, but you just cited two examples where they both began in like look, 63, look, 73, they're... 72. That's where I think they start on the third year. Oh, okay. There's a little the holes in my theory. 70s uh, go until 1982. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. 80s begin in 1983. Which is also when you and I, Molly, were born. With our birth. Um, uh, The the decade was allowed to begin. Um, (laughs) The 80s end in 1993, continuing with Tessa's theory. And then the 90s are 93 to 9-11. Oh, Interesting. Um, uh, what's the quote by um, oh fucking uh, neuromancer author William Gibson? Isn't doesn't he have the quote about how the future will get here? It'll just like not be evenly dispersed. Um, yes, I think also that William this, Gibson. Come on, night call, please. Come on, night call. Well, obviously, Gibson. yes, <laughs> that is like an open invitation for all time. But I think I think the same kind of goes for these decade changes, though, because I think if you're living in the Midwest or you're living in a more conservative place, like it takes a while for some of the wave, like the cultural waves of these changes to hit you. So like it can still feel like the eighties, you know, deep into the nineties in, I mean, there in are certain lots, parts of the country or there, certain parts of the world. There are pockets I think too, where it never fully moves on. It stays forever in one zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always the 1950s in Burbank. Yeah. I would uh, say well, though that there are certain, I would say there are certain things, though. I would say 9-11 is one of them. Um, and I would say I'm fairly confident that the recession, the housing crisis is, is another one where those are evenly dispersed um, and maybe even more dispersed towards places that are not big me- metropolitan areas where we think of the center of cultural change happening. Although you would say, I, like, I have been thinking about this a lot because obviously this crisis is, like, extremely not evenly dispersed and being really much more bad. Yeah. There's the, I mean, like, it, the severity is different for for COVID, but I would say that this is definitely something that's happening to everybody at the same time. It's happening in different ways to everybody at the same time as the same thing with the housing crisis, with kind of all of the, the, the shifts that came after that, um, Occupy and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it affected people in different ways. But, like, you know, you can actually say, like, this is a thing that changed pretty much everybody, at least in our country, for, like, at the same time. Whereas, so like, when you think about something like the Manson murders and people saying, like, the Manson murders was the end of the 60s, it's like, well, kind of just, like, in L.A., <laughs> 
you also, know? it wasn't the end of the <laughs> no, 60s. That's very not. convenient. Yeah. And, and also the reason the 60s really ended in L.A., according to Mike Davis, is because a bunch of the prominent Black Panthers were killed by the U.S. government. They so are. they definitely were trying to make the 60s be over ASAP. Yeah, the 60s is like actually one of the shortest decades if we're going through it like this and uh, not on accident. But yeah, this is an interesting, I think about this stuff all the time. This is a good yeah, question. Yeah, I think uh, just 9-11 to now is all one decade. I think of it as just all one time period. I would you disagree. Don't think that- I, I, think that, I think the housing crisis is a, is a turn. I think, I think there's a major turn there. I think the whole 21st century has been basura. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, this might be a good time to bring up, Molly, your brother's theory about oh, yeah. Y2K and how, well, you explain. Okay, my brother. I think about this constantly. My brother, Ben Lambert, uh, Lambo Lambo, had a theory. I don't know if he read it somewhere or just came up with it, but his theory was essentially like Y2K did happen. And that is when reality split into the multiple universes, yes, the multiple we've talked timelines. about this a few times we've talked on about this it before, podcast. Yes. But it's very Y2K. I've, it's Y2K. Yeah. This is like the, the cornerstone of our Y2K. It's, like, it's the matrix. People yeah. like it because it lets you imagine there's a good universe somewhere. But I guess the idea is also like in the universe where Y2K happened, we had to reckon with our lack of preparedness for a global event we had to like come together as nations i'm, I'm writing an aaron sorkin book over here <laughs> about what happened when y2k nations, you say <laughs> i suddenly like perked up i was like i hadn't thought about <laughs> coming states. together as a nation um yeah no but the, uh, the other thing about that theory that i think is popular among people of our generation and like our friends is that it conveniently lines up with like the end of us being teenagers um so, you know, it's it's very comforting to think that, like, once you enter adulthood, uh, then the, the universe shifted and it was all fake after <laughs> The only real stuff was when you were, like, a okay, teenager but, and didn't have anything, like, serious to worry about. But also, like, we got uniquely uh, a lot of bad things happen. I mean, obviously, bad things happen to every generation, but uh, it seems like things have gotten just acceleratedly worse since well, the year we're since speaking, Y2K. We're speaking to you from a global pandemic. So it's like, yes, it it seems pretty bad. Uh, but I, I mean, also think, I think the 20th century was an outlier as a time of just, you know, all these circumstances lined up to create growth and prosperity briefly in America Starting with the beginning of the 20th century, something I would mm-hmm. love to talk about more that you guys don't think is <laughs> quite as I think captivating. We, I'll be happy to go back and and we can do a whole series on the Nick. Okay, um, we're gonna maybe do a- more the Nick and fewer. PBS American History. <laughs> I agree with that. No that, PBS that's a good American History, but you know, I have been talking a lot about the Magnificent Ambersons, which is like a whole novel somebody wrote about how much they hated cars <laughs> uh, and how they thought cars were going to ruin everything. And I was like, you know what? Not wrong. Not wrong. If you had to choose a world where there were no cars or no airplanes, which would you choose? Can no I airplanes. have both? Can I have both no cars and no airplanes? No, you have to choose one or the other. That's the point of I the mean, question. I mean, probably cars. I don't care about airplanes that much. I've never had like a good air travel experience. So like, you'd rather never- pick okay. See, I, I I firmly disagree. I can get around in life I and I have for many years of my life gotten around without a car, but like the possibility of like, oh, if I want to go see some other part of the world, I have to like get on an ocean liner. <laughs> That's <laughs> like how that. it was. Yeah, but like I I think I think uh I've shared this controversial opinion on uh on, I think it was on the Daily Zeitgeist recently when I was a guest on there. I think air travel's great. <laughs> a plus. <laughs> Love air travel. Wow, being in the sky. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't like being in the sky. It feels un- unnatural. I don't but... think I'm ever going to get on a plane again, honestly, <laughs> after this. I'm but not I'm, even kidding. I like a road trip. I think I'm just like, well, if there's no planes, we'll have to drive across the country like in Stephen King's The Stand to get places. Isn't that isn't don't bad, bad things happen in the stand? Well, the stand well, yeah. is largely bad things happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's too on topic for right now. I've watched it a lot of times, but like 
Have you ever read it? I've never read it. That would oh, be it's such, it's so good. a good book to read, but also like I don't think I can handle it right now. It might be I, exactly what you want. Well, I also saw some response from Stephen King where he was like, in my sci-fi like dystopia universe, it didn't like occur to me that the government would fuck it up this badly. Right. <laughs> just like things William Gibson says too. It's just like some of the ways in which society has become bad. It's just like even the people thinking about all the ways society could become really bad didn't didn't think about it. That's why we're going back to Y2K, a great time that everybody loves. <laughs> when, can it I feels very guys, innocent and quaint right now. Oh, my God. It's so innocent. <laughs> where, where were you guys on Y2K? I was in uh, jolly old England. I, were you? It was my first trip to another country, speaking of air travel. Um, and it was my mom was doing a research trip, so I was just tagging along with her, and we were just staying at like a series of hostels around mostly northern England um, but we had we spent act- the actual turn of the millennium in Cambridge um, and I remember there was a huge carnival out on some lawn at Cambridge but we were not we were not doing any of that I remember I remember like the drunkenness level being like and even living in a college town at the time being something that I had never seen before well, like because it's college like, town times British times British <laughs> exactly Um but we spent our evening at like a cathedral that had been, or not a cathedral, it was a church, an old, old church, like a Romanesque church that had been around since like the first millennium. <laughs> and uh, there was like a kind of service type thing, like a vigil or something. And then um, I drank my first glass of champagne among a bunch of old people in a <laughs> in an old church in Cambridge. <laughs> you had the most delightful Y2K I've ever heard of. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome. I Molly, was, where were you? I was at uh, my family friend's house, the Moffats, with my parents and brother. And we were watching it on television. We like went over there for New Year's. Um, I feel like I never did anything party for New Year's in high school because it was like such a pain and like nobody wanted to drive on New mm, Year's. Yeah. And I remember people would always be like going to the beach, but then that would be that was like a five hour clusterfuck of like driving. You got stuck there. Yeah. So I would always just hang out with my parents, like the cool kid that I was um, and my family. And I remember that there was like a PBS or local special of the millennium around the world, Y2K around the world. Uh-huh. And that LA had the worst Y2K celebration of anywhere. <laughs> Everywhere else had something cool. Um, there was like some crazy ball drop in Sydney. And then, you know, and it's like going through as yeah, it like, yeah. becomes as it, 2000 as the world turns. around the world. Yeah, I remember seeing something cool looking or the silly like Millennium Dome in England. Yeah. Just all this like silly probably really wasteful infrastructure stuff that they built for the millennium oh yeah and the then, eye the the yeah. eye in london is was so, that for the millennium yeah yeah oh yeah. yeah they built a lot of dumb shit for that they built a lot of dumb shit for the millennium uh, really and then stupid. they cut to hollywood california and it's jay leno at the hollywood sign but- <laughs> <laughs> and they lit off like two sparklers and that was uh it Wee. <laughs> were you so guys funny. nervous about the uh, collapse of technology at the time? I think I was, like, curious if it would happen. Really? Yeah, I, I I don't remember being really actively nervous. And then I think I remember being later at some point, like, or no, before it was midnight, we were in some bar or some cafe or something, and they had the TV on where they were showing, like, the Millennium Celebrations in, like, India and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, it's fine. Like, <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Um, so, like, by the time it was midnight in England, I was like, uh, it's 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 okay. I'm just going to, like, <laughs> chill and have my my champagne. What about but, you, yeah, Tess? Oh, I have no. no, I can't remember. And it's so stressful because I was trying to, uh, right before we started, I was like, okay, I think I was in my bedroom online as a very cool person uh, would be at midnight on New Year's Eve. But then I was like, no, I think I was in Connecticut um, because my parents would leave. They were renting in California for work. So when I would have school breaks, sometimes we would go back to their house in Connecticut. So even worse than being in like 
my L.A. bedroom, I think I was like all alone in my haunted bedroom in Connecticut. But I was really, really stressed about computers breaking and stuff. Most More than anything, I was like, my emails, my AOL emails. It's like the record of my life. What will I do if those are lost? And I think my dad was pretty stressed because he's he was like an early techie. You got to um, ask your parents for confirmation. Well, I, I was like, are. oh, I should look at my diaries. But then I yeah. was like, I'm not I'm not going to go down that road right should, now. It's too fragile. You should a time. look at your AOL emails. Oh I can't, God. man. I wish I could. I, I don't think that those exist anymore. But I mean, they were like, that was a big deal to me. I was stressed. I actually have a binder of printed out AOL emails, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's not a an exhaustive collection. Your correspondences. My correspondences. <laughs> it's very Victorian uh, with the pen pals. Well, let's take a break and then we'll be right back with some sports. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back tonight call this is a special new segment we're introducing <laughs> uh, at my behest but also some of our listeners demanded it called sports call the sports podcast within night call <laughs> we've got two whole sports topics to talk about and i would love to have some actual people who are sports journalists on we want to have our friend holly on sometime to talk about sports actually we are not pretending to be sports experts. We are merely sports amateurs. But what we have are opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of them. Well put. <laughs> uh, here is a night text we got asking about the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Hi, ladies. Been a listener since your days in Grantland, and this is my first time ever calling in. Given you guys are talking about The Last Dance documentary, I guess my only question is how do you think a figure like Dennis Rodman would be read and consumed in today's media landscape and culture? Rodman was no doubt a fascinating figure when I was a kid in the 90s watching him, but looking at how social media reacted to seemingly first time discovering who Rodman is in finding old clips of him, he's easily going viral yet again, especially when he talked about his sexuality and how he liked to dress, which at the time was very controversial. Thank you, and I enjoy the podcast. Wow, thank you so much for this great introduction to talk about our favorite subject, sports. Basketball. 
basketball <laughs> specifically. Um, <laughs> did you guys get to watch any of the last dance? I haven't yet, but I'm I've committed to doing it this weekend. I know you, uh, Molly, you started it, right? Yeah, it's just a great documentary. I will say it's like even if you don't care anything about basketball and I'm definitely on the low end of caring about it, it's just a great collection of people and personalities. Um, and it makes it very much about how these personalities interacted and what, you know, what made that work and not work for teams. And it's a lot about the corporate meddling, about how the league got involved and fucked up good arrangements and fucked over great players. Um, Scotty Pippen is the focus of the second episode. It's all, it's very, it's very discursive in a way that I like. Who are the villains? The villains? Jake Hang disagrees with me, but the main villain is Jerry Krause, who uh, br- basically breaks up like the threatens to break up the the championship winning Bulls. Um, Scottie Pippen signs like a bad overall deal because for reasons that make perfect sense, which is that he's like, I need to like buy my mom a house, you know, right. and like they offer him 18 million and he takes it. But then he gets to a point where it's like he could be making so much more money and he's like the second best player in the league or something on the best team in the league. But he is making, he's like very low on, on, you know, in terms of getting paid. So they talk a lot about the way that the league exploits players and, you know, how you have to be sort of like so happy to do anything for the league. Uh, But obviously if you get injured, they kind of stop giving a fuck about you. Right. But it's really about it's about the the late 90s about Michael Jordan's retirement and it's 10 episodes. I've watched four so far. It's coming out weekly on Sundays and it's like a big event that everybody's enjoying watching. Um, Can I ask why it's called The Last Dance? Um, our producer Joelle says she actually knows why it's called The Last Dance. So uh, in episode one, Phil Jackson talks about how at the top of each year, he would set up sort of a, a theme or a mantra for the team in order to focus them on a singular goal. Uh, he was pretty sure this was going to be his last season. And so he coined this term, the last dance. And they were all sort of trying to make that last dance a memorable one. Nice. Thank you, Joelle. Thank Thanks, you, Joelle. So the first episode is focused basically on Michael Jordan. The second episode is sort of focused around Scottie Pippen. And then the third episode is Dennis Rodman. And then episode four, it starts to like weave these. They're all being woven together the whole time, which is also why I like it. It kind of jumps around in time and... Uh, in in careers, in stories a lot um, in a way that some people have said they find confusing, but I think it's fine. You can just follow what year it is by how long people's shorts are. (laughs) Is it the country music of 90s NBA? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is, actually. It's um, but I it's it's better than country music because it's got interviews with everybody. And so it's got interviews from the time period where somebody was just filming their entire season, the bull season. And then it's got interviews with everybody in the present day in their mansions, like reflecting on their lives. Um, and that part is also really interesting. And one of the interesting things about it is that Michael Jordan wears a ball chain necklace in one of the interview setups. <laughs> And he wears these like huge pants all the time, like Jinko type pants. And that was just like I had this realization last night where I was like, oh, he dresses like a raver. He dresses like the totally. ravers I knew who also listened to Sublime. Yeah. <laughs> well, Which isn't is the- he kind of like a proto like SoundCloud rapper a little bit as like a cultural figure somebody like that just freaks out parents. <laughs> no. Well, that's Rodman. Yeah, Rodman. Oh, oh I thought you were talking about Den- Dennis Rodman. Uh, no, that's Jordan. what's funny. Jordan, Jordan wears oh. the ball chain necklace. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Rodman kind of dresses like an old new metal guy, which is also really cool. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, young Rodman, I guess if you had never seen him before, does feel like kind of a revelation because even for people who didn't watch basketball, he was such like a rock star of basketball. He looked very cool and seemed yeah. very cool. But I, as a person who didn't really know anything about the Bulls, uh, I had watched the Bad Boys documentary about the Detroit Pistons, which was where Rodman came up, was in this team in Detroit. That's also an amazing ESPN documentary that I super recommend about the Bad Boys, um, which was about they basically just started playing really uh, physical and kind of dirty 
Yeah. Because they were like, nobody likes us because we're Detroit. And and flagrant fouling, I guess. Like, Joel, fact check. Why were they allowed to foul everybody so hard in the 80s? So back in the day before NBA became a, a major sports ball franchise, it was um, like very low rent. So in other words, players weren't getting paid a lot. A lot of them, this was their second job. They were doing it. They were basically like the cheerleaders are today. Where they're like, yeah, you came and cheered. Here's a little chunk of change. Go home or whatever. Um, and so it wasn't uh, standards and rules and all that was kind of like, whatever. We're playing a game. Be men. Like punch each other. It's fun. Uh, and they just kind of had to eventually grow out of that because like, we can't be having players sue us for violence and things like that. But yeah, back in the day, it was anything goes. Yeah, our producer, Zach, our other producer also says that people got hurt a lot over the years and that was why they reformed it. Um, basically, the Pistons were like, let's see how far we can push it. Let's just turn it into hockey, kind of. Um, right. And mm-hmm. Everybody else thought that like wasn't a classy form of basketball to play. But it's so super the- good TV. Super good TV and like super good for sports. And so the Bulls were kind of this prestige team. And there was this whole thing about that when they went to play the Pistons, the Pistons had a set of rules for Jordan that they called the Jordan rules, which is the name of the tell all book about Jordan that my brother read and told me all the good parts from. And it was basically just like a a strategy for playing against Jordan, who they all agreed was like, if he gets off the ground, you're you're fucked. You got to like keep him on the ground. It wasn't like hit him in the face. It was a little bit hit him in the face, but it was kind of <laughs> just like play as rough as you possibly can to like keep him from from getting to the basket. And it worked. But then like sports broadcasters did not like it because they were like, we have this narrative going about Michael Jordan and he's the greatest and like a bunch of, you know, roughnecks like fucking it up isn't part of our narrative. The Pistons are all great. They all show up in interviews. They're probably they're. They're chiller than the Bulls um, because they're all kind of like, yeah, yeah, we did that stuff. Like it was it was cool. There weren't any rules yet. You could do it. It was fine. Basketball in general always makes me it gives me the Y2Ks. I mean, this year, obviously, we were talking we've all everybody's been talking about the Lakers because of Kobe dying um, and the Lakers won two championships in a row. I think and Joel and Zach might know better than I do, but I thought in 2000 to 2001. Is that right? Uh, didn't, didn't they win in 2000, 2010, I want to say? Maybe then too, but in terms of like Y2K, uh, it was a big time for the Lakers Well, it's kind of like, it introduces all these teams that became sort of like the brand name. They're mm-hmm. like bands. They're just exactly like bands. It's like a music documentary. It's like yeah. people that had to get along with each other in order to work and had like interpersonal conflicts that they had to like keep off the, you know, the court. But the behind the scenes stuff is great. We have, don't we have to address our feelings about Dennis Rodman? Well, yeah. And let, cause I want to hear what you guys think about Den- your impressions of Dennis Rodman, especially when he first kind of came onto the scene. Oh, nice. Oh, wait. Joel just confirms that the Lakers won the championship yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2000, 2001, and 2002. It was a three Joel is really three-peat. being our Roz here. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Thank you, Joel. <laughs> Thank you. I just remember when, when we graduated from high school in 2001, um, I was like in a I mean, or I guess it wasn't when we graduated, but there was like when they won the championship in 2001, um, I was out with a bunch of my friends and we were on sunset on the sunset strip and everyone was like honking and had Lakers flags and everything. And I was like, maybe I care about basketball now. <laughs> well, maybe I could play basketball honestly, one day. That's More on the that main, later. That's the main aspect that I don't like about sports is the like city nationalism, because like, who cares? You know, I don't think my city's better than other cities. Like, it's not about your city being better than other cities. I mean, I. I'm a Dodgers fan. Like I, I do enjoy that a lot. I, I enjoy Vince Scully. I enjoy like the camaraderie. I gotta say, I like city nationalism, not no. in a serious like let's start a war way. But, no, it's like, baby I fascism. Li- no, it's not way? cheering for a team. Molly, you, you like love the Saints. Los Angeles, <laughs> right? Yes. But like, and you like the New Orleans Saints. I love it, despite the fact that I think that that's I don't love it because that sports teams are good like that's well, irrelevant no. yeah but the sports teams are kind of just an accessory to it like I I, I like I like feeling like you know I, I think that sports is one of the good things about it is that it is a nice way to just like you know sit at a bar and talk to somebody that you might not talk to otherwise when I had my brief like dalliance with being into football that was sort of fun football is a super evil institution but like sometimes it was fun to just like chat with somebody 
at a yeah. bar. And I think that that's like a, a that's like a fun thing. And it may, and it does make me feel more even though I was never talking about LA football because there wasn't LA football yet when I was watching football. Like it was sort of uh I don't know, it was just something to another way to kind of cross a bridge or something to people. Um I but I will say the the downside of that like when the actual hooliganism enters into it, because my memory, I wasn't around in LA for those championships around like 2000, 2001, 2002. I was here for the one in 2010. And that I remember really, really vividly because I was out at a bar on sunset. Sunset seems to be the place to be <laughs> during a championship. And uh, I remember it was uh, it was Mission, Mission Taqueria, yeah, um, which is still there, but like in the shadow of the big Death Star Emerson campus now. Um, and I lived around the corner from there. And we saw on the TV, the TV that they won. And then there was this like weird kind of thing that went over the bar where everybody was like, I'm leaving. I'm going to go home because it's about to get crazy out here. And it did. Like people were setting fires and overturning trash, like like dumpsters. Oh, yeah, that and was stuff cool. Like that. that was like the one good <laughs> sports. <laughs> Wait, that's the good stuff. I thought you hated like the the. No, I'm the just saying Nash. it's part. It's part of it. Is like the over. You know, it. Like I, I think I'm just. <sighs> Just you get people in a stadium, it's a little bit like a rally, you know? There's there's a lot of group energy. But then energy you like when go. people go and like burn shit down after their well, yeah, their team owned I like, by a billionaire like won a sports game. Like, yeah, because I like when they deface LA Live. <laughs> well, they were defacing more than LA Live. Like were they, they was, like overturning was, cop cars and shit? Like that's cool. They were also overturning other people's cars too. I mean, and it's like it's like I'm 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 totally here for that if it's for a political reason and it's like to send a message, but it's like the Lakers won. <laughs> Woohoo, right. let's destroy some property. Tess like, and I were in Providence. We were in college when the Red Sox won the World Series for oh the boy. first time in a billion years. And I remember because we went to Legal Seafood. We drove to Legal Seafood and we were driving <laughs> back to Providence. And there were fireworks, and we were both like, "What the fuck is happening?" And we There's were listening some kind to of weird ELO. Event. Listen, listening to ELO, and it was very magical. He may oh, have been high. So don't you dare diss. <laughs> no, but I remember we were like, "What is it?" Because we were both yeah. so out of it, we didn't know. And then we were like, "Oh, the Red Sox won." Um, Although I have to say that the Red Sox. So my parents are Red Sox fans because they're both from Boston, and then but then they moved to New York, and they growing up, I I was always fascinated by how much they hated the Yankees because well, they, they were terrible at explaining it. Yeah, you know, I was like because they're the Yankees because well, we like the Red Sox, and I was like, but give me more because I'm five years old and it makes no sense, and it's like because. Fuck the Yankees, right. I think Tess. That's what I'm saying. It's like the part of sports fandom that is like our place, you know, Springfield is good and Shelbyville is bad. Right. And like the Springfield will win because like Shelbyville is evil. And it's like, no. As long as it's kind of a, it's, it's it seems a that joke. most people, it's a joke, you know, it's, it's not like, serious. Like when I tell, like when I meet somebody from USC and I say like, we can't be friends. It's so exactly. stupid. I never went to a single game. Like <laughs> I just like it's just sort of a dumb joke. It's like and oh, it's also I'm it's on nice, the side. Like like know. Emily was saying, when you find it's the one thing you have in common with someone, you know, it can be like a nice form of camaraderie. I definitely find that with the Dodgers, although there's often some tension depending on like how many Giants fans are like with you in your group or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, it's you can start a conversation with someone about what's happening. It, that you're watching it's it's such a like weird kind of unique it's thing it's not like you show. go to a concert and you start like talking to the person next to you like yeah what do you it's, think it's <laughs> just another show except you yeah. can watch the show in a huge arena and there are good hot dogs i mean yeah. problem i think also with basketball in los angeles is that the lakers are like prohibitively expensive to see because oh they yeah i would never good. dream like, of i have yeah. never been to a laker game me neither um i've seen a WNBA game that I went to a couple years ago and I like wouldn't stop talking about it because it was so fun. Yeah. And it was like a sports event with no like bullshit. I was like, oh, like a lot of dads brought their daughters here and it's all like big groups of women, just like no, no, just macho bullshit, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. Sports without, I was like, oh, there can be sports without macho bullshit. Like, I didn't even know what that looked like in real yeah. life. I would love to go to a Sparks game. I've been oh, to a total so of three. 
uh, three pro basketball games in my life. One was the uh, team formerly known as the Seattle Sonics um, when they were the kingdom was being repaired sometime before they decided to just tear it down altogether. I really love the, I have like a very soft spot in my heart for the kingdom, but um, they ha- were playing their games at the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma. So I went there and I got in a huge fight with my friend that I went with because um, the, they did a t-shirt cannon and she like knocked me out of the way to get a t-shirt. Oh, no. <laughs> I was so mad at her. <laughs> uh, thought you were going to say the t-shirt cannon knocked you out. <laughs> oh no, my friend knocked me out. Uh, and then uh, and then I, I, I did go to a Lakers game. I've been to a Lakers game, but it was when I worked for a nonprofit and they would, the donors to the, it was like an after school program. So sometimes donors would give their like box seats, like really amazing seats to games. So I like was in a skybox for a Lakers game but I like didn't know what was going on so I was just like doing a crossword puzzle on the couch in the lounge like and the kids were all like having a great time I was just like uh, I went to the WNBA game with a dance team called the Divas of Compton who I was writing about for a sports magazine called Victory um and they were doing the halftime show and it was great because I got to like go early and go backstage in the Staples Center which is just like a giant concrete labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited about that. I was like, ooh, backstage of like a weird stadium with all just the weird doors and warehouse stuff. Because that's the kind of thing about stadiums that I like. (laughs) Um, Stadiums are bad. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break. And when we come back, a little more sports and maybe another uh, night email or night call. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Hello, we are back. Um... Molly, have you ever played any basketball? No, my brother was good at basketball. I'm short. I All of my sports dreams were dashed by being sp- short. I'm short, too. I'm the same height as you, I think. No, you're but, not. Uh, yeah, well, I'm 5'5". Five five. I'm 5'2". Five you're not 5'2". Yes, the the I last am. time I saw you, well, I have a lot of bone loss, as I we've wear, discussed. It's because I wear sneakers with some height. Give me some height. Oh, no, you I want to be tall. And lie. also, my 
grandmother was a high jumper, like an award winning high jumper and like super tall. So I was totally just waiting for my growth spurt and it just didn't drink enough milk as a kid. Yeah. And also just like the sports I could have been good at, like soccer. Um, everybody was too good at soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, I think you said you, you are not a basketball person. No, the only sport I ever played in any organized way was, uh, with softball. <laughs> they did a <laughs> did softball episode last night on Vanderpump Rules, which I was like, what a great idea. I mean, on it, like that is what I will say about sports. I know I'm talking shit, but I'm also talking shit more about sports leagues, I guess, and like the business of sports than I am about playing actual sports, you know, which is fun, I think. Sometimes. Sometimes, but I played softball for a long time like up until junior high when again, just like people got big and I didn't. So it was like my time was over. Um, And I loved, I was like never very good, but I just loved being on a team and I loved talking trash. (laughs) Still do. Still do. That's why I have a podcast. Should we take a night email? Yeah, let's do it. So we have a night email from Kate who writes to us. I was wondering if you guys could talk about the prevalence of forest green and bright purple as a color palette in the mid to late 90s. It was just so hideously ugly. Note the Seattle spruce and tracksuit colors in the piece I attached, which uh, we can put it in the show notes. And the really scary patterns like this Behance post that were everywhere. Also, Taco Bell in the 90s were this color scheme, the the purple and the green. Uh, So that comes to us from Kate. Thank you, Kate. Um, we were talking a little bit about Y2K color schemes. The the purple and green, I'm kind of surprised to to see that be cited by somebody because that felt very specific to the Pacific Northwest for me in the late 90s. But maybe it was everywhere. It's also like big Barney colors. Like, the, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, the, it's like Barney, Barney purple. The Pacific um, Northwest had such a huge influence on everything in the 90s. Yeah. It's true. I have to say that I'm a really big fan of Forest Green. And I, when we got this email, I was like really aghast because I have a Forest Green bathroom that was like a, a bold choice that I made. And I thought it was great. And then I went in there and was like, is it okay? Because there's no purple. Like it, But I think that the, the Y2K Forest Green had a lot more blue in it. Then the current, like it's more of a like deep emerald without yeah. that much. Bl- it's a true yeah. green. It was like a dark teal more. That like it's the, the teal. Yeah. yeah, teal is. Such I don't like the t- a nineties yeah. color. It was jewel tones. Yeah. All of the schools in my school district when I was growing up in in Tacoma, like most of them were a combination. Their colors of the schools were a combination of like teal, purple, gray. Um, blue and like sometimes maroon in there. That's that 90s color palette. I feel like the 80s were all primary colors and so the 90s were like nudes and jewel tones. Yeah. Were there Um, nudes then too? I think of them as being well it's more like nudes nudes is more early 90s late 80s becoming the early 90s. Nudes is is 80s and then you still get it in the 90s by like what I was talking about. What about like Calvin Klein? Effect of like it stays in it stays in the suburbs, like yeah. a beige house, like a beige house and like a very prefab neighborhood will be very like nude colored. A lot of yeah. those interiors and in, like the um, Ryan Murphy shows like uh, American, the American crime story specifically, like that is like, just a really great work of art direction as far as capturing. These color oh, yeah, palettes. I totally agree. <laughs> I hate all the houses that are slate gray now. Yeah, it's oh, I don't like the houses out here that are basically black. Yeah, well, that's it's the slate gray. Weird. That's but it's it's like so e- it's aggressively dark. Well, they're doing and it. They're doing it to like cover the beige, I guess. But no, also, it, a lot of them are new construction. Somebody posted a, a Victorian, like a gingerbread house in San Francisco that someone did that too, and it like made my heart die. Ugh. It's so in, it's such a stupid choice because it's going to heat your house so quickly. So it would make sense to me in a place that was more often cold than swelteringly it's like, hot. It's like you're murdering out your house. 
Well, I think I actually think that that is a reaction to so much new construction of the like the McMansion variety being this very stark white where they had these facades where it was like the windows. A lot of them had no shutters. There was nothing to break up this like glaring whiteness Mm -hmm. and they're huge. So they it just it made them look even huger. And I think that the they started working with the dark slate gray. I remember the first one I saw was in Echo Park. Um, It was a like a small lot ordinance development called the Blackbird. And there was a huge community response because they were like, these are supposed to be smart homes, but you're painting them black. They're going to be like little furnaces. And I think the response was like, but these are not these aren't like churned out, you know, new construction. Like they're different. They were trying to differentiate themselves, but it backfired. It's just a signifier of like, this is a gentrification house or apartment. Well, now it is. I think they were trying to disguise, to be like, it's not, don't think it's that. Well, it's it's to try to be like, it's new because they're building like the same types of apartments. We're getting off topic. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) We'll bring it back to the Y2K aesthetic. Yeah. So Tess linked to this article in Paper Magazine that was just about um, an interview with a kind of... uh, a historian, I guess, of the Y2K aesthetic, um, uh, this person who runs the, um, the blog Institute for Y2K Aesthetics, Evan Collins. And um, I think that there is, like, especially since the arrival of Vaporwave as, like, an internet aesthetic, there's been a lot of stuff that thinks it's, like, Y2K aesthetic. But I appreciated this inter- interview because it's, like, much more granular and actually, like, it seems to be coming from more experience than just, like, teenagers you know not to sound like an ancient old person but like teenagers who like didn't necessarily well, it's a remember. different thing <laughs> my yeah. like reaction I think I've said this before but like all the kids who dress 90s now where you're like oh it's like a stylized kind of cartoon version of of 90s dressing where I'm like yeah. oh that's how we dressed 70s in the 90s right. yeah but you and know if- he so this guy Evan Collins um says that he he kind of thinks that the Y2K aesthetic began in like 1993 and lasted to 2003. So it mm. kind of like lines up with our theory loosely that that the decades begin and end with the threes. Yeah. But also it it does. I mean, I think of it primarily with the with the 90s stuff as being a music video aesthetic mm-hmm. that then kind of bled out from there. Um, and he says that the key traits of the Y2K aesthetic is like um the futuristic feel period which of i'm look i'm scrolling through this now there's like a great one of left eye like mm-hmm. <laughs> wearing just mm-hmm. the most ridiculous Every- everything looks like um like those jogging suits that are supposed to make you like sweat more though like yes exactly. jogging suits yeah <laughs> yeah i think a lot of what i'm thinking about is like hype williams videos yeah totally yeah yeah i'm not gonna list he does a whole list of all of the y2k aesthetic signifiers but i'll just go through a couple of them Translucency, like the iMac translucency, yes. gradient, Bondi blue, uh, yeah, Bondi blue, um, motion overlays, warping and perspective, like the fisheye lens, um, curves and blobs, blobjects, <laughs> <laughs> futuristic totally. fonts. It's really interesting because you can. You're like, oh, okay, this. You know, I I now see that it is a really cohesive aesthetic. Yeah, right. Because it was all leading up to the future, which was mm-hmm. the year 2000. <laughs> Yeah, but it was like a very, I would say for the most part, a very optimistic kind of future that sort of like was taking its cues from a sort of 60s idea yeah. of the future. It was kind of a world's fairsy. Yeah. Everything's like going to be with great. A ra- like with the rave influence. Because I think that like it's interesting to point to like 1993 on because that kind of is when club culture starts to really become a thing in the States. Um, totally we got the summer of love like three years late yeah yeah we're late to everything like that but but yeah so like that and then you 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 hear it in the music and then you see it in the fashion and everything it kind of there's a sort of right and the idea that 2000 was going to be like a world rave yeah yeah well that's what everybody i mean like one of my favorite Y2K movies is Strange Days which takes place around um takes place from like Christmas to New Year's um in 1999, but the movie was made in 1995. Um, but it ends with this incredible uh, party scene that's like outside the um, Bonaventure Hotel in downtown LA, and it's just like this massive crowd of people. And they actually did have a huge concert where like Aphex Twin and a bunch of other people played, and they had like a real rave, and people went to the hospital because of drug overdoses, like on the set of this movie. Um, and that just seems like the epitome of like what people thought 
that that moment was going to be like just the, well, the biggest party. Right. It seems like all of history, you're like waiting for the release. You're yeah. waiting for the drop. I the would drop. say right now we are waiting for the drop too. And it is the most depressing thing in the world to realize it is not going to be a drop. It's just going to yeah. be like a slow well, dec- like decrescendo. It's also funny to be like, oh, instead of all being outside together, everyone's like inside alone. Yeah. Again, yeah, a never, dystopian again, future. Nobody never predicted. alone. It's if you have a family, you've never been less alone in your life. Like having kids and and generally not seeing them as much. I mean, that's right. what's been but you're like, still in like a quiet place. The movie, a quiet place. You're like not in the, really in the bunker. I mean, I feel like I'm in the loudest you're in the loud place. place. <laughs> alone. I think whether you're with family or not with family, like the thing, the thing that feels optimistic or like, I guess if you're a person who likes this sort of thing, but the thing that's appealing to you about imagining a huge Y2K-esque party, for example, is not so much like the fact of actually being around the other humans as it is like kind of like sharing something again, like talking about sports at a bar with a stranger, like yeah. sharing something with somebody that you don't necessarily know or like having these kind of randomized moments just, just because you're in a crowd and you're out in the world. Like that's yeah. what we're missing right now. I have to be honest, though, and I think like this has been discussed a lot on Twitter recently is I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to go back to enjoying some of those things. I mean, the idea of being in a huge crowd right now, even after that is like permissible, I'm not sure I'm ever going to feel compelled to or like comfortable doing that. Well, I think everyone is like people who lived through the Blitz and they're, you know, everyone's going to have PTSD from this. It's like like a 9-11 happening just very slowly and like everywhere. Um, no, yeah, I, I totally, I feel the same way. And it's, it's really frustrating, too, because it's like on an intellectual level, I want to be able to enjoy those sorts of things. Right. But I can yeah. already feel myself like freaking out even a, about the smallest little interactions right now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like, so it'll it'll be even worse in a way because it's not even like I won't want to go to a party. It's a little bit yeah. that I want to go to a party, but I don't think I can handle going to a party. Right. No, <laughs> exactly. Aisha exactly. Siddiqui had a really good tweet about it, I think, yesterday where she was like, yeah, it's not going to just be over like anytime soon. No. It's not going to be like we're not going to be in a different place probably till like next summer. And then it's not going to be like before and after. It's going to be like we're living in the shadow of this event for yeah. the next decade at yeah. least, you know, yeah. the way that 9-11 just became a way to like enact all this terrible policy and be like, well, hey, remember when this one scary thing happened? Like, I still hold on to some hope that there will be positive changes like uh, after this i mean you know honestly the way that people have kind of come together to try to support local businesses and i mean today obviously there's i keep saying obviously today not obviously but we know that a lot of workers are on strike and i think that the response to that has been really heartening and i think people do have more of an understanding of how people put themselves at risk when they work for companies that really don't care about their well-being so i'm hoping that there can be some kind of like gain no, of me too. Hu- shared humanity. But I, on, I, I when I was watching, I don't remember what I was watching, but there was a huge crowd scene. And I was like, will that ever be something that I will want to do again? Like, I, I'm not sure, yeah. you know? No, so. I've been doing a lot of like triangle shirtwaist factory fire comments yeah. in my head about just like the whole country is a factory that's on fire and like everyone's trapped inside. But people were talking about how, that got us a lot of good labor regulation because exactly. of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm just so beaten down right now that I'm like, uh, yeah. they're just going to like run us over in their cyber trucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. But I also feel like that's because the news media has been so gutted. There's not a lot of coverage of the stuff that I'm actually interested in, which is also why I feel like it's exciting. We have a cyberpunk podcast. <laughs> right. But also stuff oh, like yeah. rent strikes, like what a lot of people, like what you're seeing in New York law right now, it has nothing to do with like news coverage. It has truly just to do with like ground level organizing and stuff. And I think a lot of people, because of our circumstances right now, you know, it does kind of take something like this to get people to get like start yeah. doing stuff that they wouldn't be doing normally. I think people um, want to build an alternative to the world we live in because like things are so bleak. Uh, yeah. And maybe maybe we're trying to just make a techno commune because the idea of a physical commune seems too stressful right now. I want to know if and if you guys 
back to the Y2K stuff and just thinking, because I, I just love thinking about past visions of the future. It's just like a general bucket of stuff that I have a great interest in. But do you think that any of it felt, I, I don't know how to, like, bad to you or felt like a wrong thing to hope for? Because I've been thinking about this a lot and, like, I actually think that it's one of the few sort of, like, aspirational aesthetics that I think seems pretty wholesome, but maybe I'm missing something. Well, I remember at the time there were a lot of people who didn't like it because they thought it was too glossy, uh, especially in rap. People were mad at the Hype Williams videos. Mm -hmm. uh, people that were like underground heads. I think maybe Alex Papadimus talked about having to, <laughs> to deal with the fact that he liked those videos, even though he was trying to be like indie. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just the indie thing in general, there was like a pressure to not admit you liked that aesthetic if you liked a, also a stripped down aesthetic. Yeah. So I also had like a come to Jesus moment of like, oh, I actually love all these Total Request Live videos. <laughs> and it doesn't mean I can't also like listen to Pavement. I totally. can like all these things. Um, but yeah, people were mad because it was also there's a lot of like sexualizing of the teens around that time as well. Sure. You know, I feel like we were like 16 or 17 when the Britney Rolling Stone cover came out, which is like very peak Y2K aesthetic to me, yeah. late 90s aesthetic. Yeah. And I remember being like, I'm also 16 or 17. And yeah. like, I don't look like this or feel like this. And, and baby spice in retrospect, <laughs> problematic baby spice. <laughs> oh, God. But now that I'm distanced from it, I love it. Yeah. Sure. Well, you, yeah. I like at the time, I wasn't doing a lot of body glitter, but now, would. <laughs> you can. There's a really good Y2K uh, Instagram filter that I posted, I found on, on, that just gives you like a flip phone and some, some face jewels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think, I think the thing that makes me feel, and it has less to do with big, like large scale pop culture, but more to do with kind of the early internet, which is another thing we talk about here on here a lot. And we talked about with um, with Claire Evans when she was on um, talking about her great book, Broadband, which you should still read. It's great. It's, it's got a lot of good y Y2K content in it. But like, I guess I guess when I think of these aesthetics, a lot of it just comes back to like the aesthetic that was being built built for the early internet. And that feels really optimistic to me and and like you know the i before everything just became ad driven uh where the internet did feel like a, just a place where you could f figure out how to be a different kind of person for sure um, we were going to make the techno utopia yeah and and so the all the kind of the, the look and feel of of that digital world I guess is more what I'm talking about than like Hype Williams videos necessarily, sure. even though I love all that stuff. But like, um, I guess that's, and, and like, you know, just like art, like, like shitty art that people are making for their websites and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, well, I love Molly Soda. The artist Molly Soda makes a lot of great yeah. work about yeah. uh, sort of that angel fire aesthetic. Yeah. Well, we will have plenty of time to continue addressing the Y2K aesthetic, Dennis Rodman, and sports from Nightcall in the future. Um, thanks for listening today. We'll be back next week. Can you please send us all your thoughts on Y2K? You can email us at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 24046night. You can also send us your thoughts via social media. We are Nightcall Pod on Twitter, Nightcall Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Also, if you're enjoying the show, consider becoming Becoming a Patreon supporter, we are patreon.com forward slash nightcall. See you next week. See you next week. Do the worm. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 